Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. I want to keep talking to you about the business of keeping church weird. In the Northwest, we know that Portland is weird, right? We learned, however, Portland wasn't the first weird city. Austin, Texas, and Willie and friends decided they were weird first. Um, You may not have known that Missoula, Montana is weird, but it it kind of goes like this. Portland is weird. Um, That kind of matters to people in the Northwest. It's one of our badges of pride, right? Austin, Texas is weird. It matters to all of the Texans. Missoula, Montana is weird, and nobody outside of Montana cares about that at all, at all. People, lots of folks didn't know there was a Missoula, Montana. They are privately and um, unnoticeably weird over there. Uh, The church is weird, too. You've noticed that, and frankly, you are part of the weird You are part of what makes us weird. Some of you work harder at that than you should, but uh, bump it back just a notch or two, okay? Now, you're, you're part of what makes the church weird, and the church has both some necessary weirdness and some really unnecessary weirdness. And we're trying to sort through those things, and this fall we're celebrating and reinforming ourselves about the necessary weirdness of the church. The unnecessary weirdness of the church has alienated, wounded, and hurt an awful lot of people. Let's be honest. Let's let's confess, as the scriptures teach us, that some of the weirdness of the church has not just been weirdness. It has been sin, it has been corruption, and it has wounded and destroyed the lives of many people. And for that, the church needs to take a continually repentant posture toward the world around us, right? Right? It's one of those things that as you see the church, this church, the church in general, um, not representing Christ well in the world, that you take your place among the church and say to God, forgive us and help us and show us how to change, and he will. But, but some of the necessary, not some of, all of the necessary weirdness we're going to hold on to. Because these are the things that make the church genuinely and recognizably the church. And so we've talked about why to go to church, and we've talked about why people preach and why you would even want to listen to such a thing. We've talked about why the church asks for money. We've talked about why the church um, does this, Holy Communion. We've talked about why the church sings together. That's weird. And we've talked about uh, baptism, another one of those ritual things we talked about last week. At the end of the sermon last week, uh, nobody said, hey, I'm ready to be baptized right now, but my phone started dinging before I got out of here. And guess what? Very soon, another baptism service because people are ready to take that step of faith, that step of maturity, that step that will avail them of God's grace and beauty in their lives. That's a good thing. Would you celebrate that like this? Good. Well, this morning, I want to talk about another thing that's weird, and it's praying. I mean, if you've been doing it for a long time, it seems very natural and normal to you. But stop and think what what people who don't share our faith in God must think when they see people praying. An otherwise normal human being, generally speaking, does something different posture-wise, either either kneeling or bowing their head or closing their eyes or or folding their hands. We do something that announces to anybody who might be watching, hey, I'm doing something different right now. But because there are so few other things in the culture where we would either kneel or bow our heads and close our eyes or clasp our hands, that people look at it and, and surely must think that's weird. When 
you sit there silently just praying, you know, from the whispers of your heart toward God, and you've just been still and in that weird posture for a long time, if you weren't raised doing this, that's odd. Maybe you're one of those people who kind of prays under your breath. Yeah, that doesn't make you look less weird. That makes you look maybe mentally unstable that you have your eyes closed, right? And it's certainly weird when a person takes one of those postures, closes their eyes, and in big, loud voice, goes back in time to 1611 and starts theeing and thouing and doing it. It's weird. Praying is weird. Not to mention the fact that what we think prayer is, some kind of conversation, formal, informal, desperate, joyous, whatever, some kind of conversation between us and somebody you cannot see. If you're a person who does not believe in God, we're pitiful. We're not just weird, we're pitiful because we believe that some great Santa Claus in the sky exists in their worldview, and here we are foolishly acting like he listened to us. Prayer is weird, but I'm not going to stop it. Prayer is, is part of the necessary weirdness of the church. In fact, uh, if I take all those other weirdnesses that we've talked about over the last several weeks and we put them on one pan in the balance and on this one over here you put prayer, I'm going to put prayer as real close to equaling those other things. Because of, of what I believe about prayer, that was impressive by the way, uh, what I believe about prayer, all these other things over here, they turn into nothing. They turn into nothing if I don't pray, if I don't have a meaningful connection and conversation with God, the rituals, the showing up, the lectures, the money, this is nothing. All these things are nothing if prayer and what it really is isn't put into the mix. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the weirdness of prayer. And so uh, I, I know I preached a, a sermon series. It's been a couple of years ago. I think I got more positive feedback from you all saying this was game changer stuff. This is the stuff that changed my life. Between that sermon series and then uh, last fall, we did a, a series, uh, four-week uh, Wednesday family night kind of thing on, on prayer. I've gotten more feedback from you guys saying this is, this is the stuff that's changing my life. And so I could just say, well, we've already covered that. Why don't you uh, go to the website and listen to one of those? But it, I didn't want to do that because prayer is a necessary weirdness, and so I want to talk to you about it this morning. So I studied it again this week instead of just saying, I know all about prayer. So I hit the books. I did all those things. And when I got to the end, I decided that it would be, at some level, fundamentally wrong of me to teach you things about prayer. If all I did was give you a list of reasons you ought to pray, things to know about prayer. And then we say a perfunctory, God bless us, and we head to Pastor Kaylee's reception. Then what I would have done in this place would not have mattered very much this morning. I've often heard people say, and I think I, I believe it at some level, that uh, you can argue about the validity of the Bible. It's very hard to argue against a person's personal experience. This morning, I want to share with you 
my personal testimony regarding prayer, why it is that I pray. Maybe some of these things will resonate with you, and if so, grab them and go. But this morning, I just want to tell you about my prayer life, and, and maybe because I'm a normal-ish human being like you, maybe we'll find something in common there that can help you in your conversation with God. I do know this. I have, I have a firm opinion that one of, the, one of the most profound sadnesses in this universe is that the Heavenly Father gave us a precious gift, prayer, as a way of us getting to know Him and to be known by Him, a way for us to connect relationally and really express our love to one another, a way to address some of the hardships and hurts in this life, our own and those of other people. But because we know so little about prayer, And because, unfortunately, we were taught just things about prayer so much of the time, most Christians that I talk to will say the one area of their spiritual life that is most frustrating is prayer. I meet very few people who say, my prayer life is rich and robust and life-giving. And I hear a lot of folks who say, I wish I was a better Christian. And that whole, I'm not a good Christian thing for them comes straight from the fact that they think their prayer life is deficient in some way. I think one of the great sadnesses of this, of this life is that God gave us a gift. And the very thing that he gave us so that we might know him becomes this thing that alienates and drives us away. I lived there for a long, long time. I ought to pray. I ought to do it this way. I ought to be better. I ought to pray more. I ought to pray more purely. And all of those things kept me at arm's length from the Father. So today I just want to tell you about my prayer prayer life and how it's changed in the hopes that that it may help you as well. I think that uh, to a large extent, um, I'm a Christian today because of the first prayer that I can remember praying. My parents were, were divorcing when I was a little kid, three, four years old. And I've told you before how that, that church in Peculiar, Missouri reached out to me and pulled me and my family, my mom and, and my sisters, into the church there. And I'm sure they started teaching us about prayer. And, uh, but I don't remember any of those prayers. I just remember one day uh, at my aunt's house, because she was babysitting us since my mom had to, had to go to work and all of that. I just remember one day... Uh, just falling on my knees at my aunt's coffee table and asking God to bring my dad home. Heartbroken prayer of a little kid. I don't even know how I knew that you could pray and ask God to do things like that. Uh, but I didn't even think about my dad having a choice or the, the, how the relationship had become to what it had. I just was a little boy who needed his dad. So I fell on my knees, and I asked God to bring my dad home. My aunt comes around the corner from the kitchen, and she said, what are you doing? And I told her, and she just had this grief-stricken look on her face because she knew dad wasn't coming back home, except he did. He did, yeah, he came back home, and he left later, but he came back home that night, and as a little kid, that clicked with me. I think it's one of the, one of the things that has kept me believing in him over the years, because I had to have that answer to prayer that, that day, and I got it. I wish I could tell you that that made me a child prayer prodigy. So now I prayed, you know, and, and connected heaven and earth, except I didn't. And I wish I could tell you that that persevered, you know, all, that I persevered all the way through my teen years and was a model of, of teenage faith, but I wasn't. 
And I wish I could say that then all of my adult years, all my years in pastoral ministry, I could, I could be a great model to you of what a faith-filled, intimate prayer life looks like, but that would just be a lie. As I mentioned before, it's, it's been kind of up and down at times, and, and I've had, I think, that perfunctory understanding of you ought to pray and that rule-based thing that just pushed me a long way away from God. But uh, a, a handful of years ago, I was going through an extremely dark period in my life. I was, I was heartbroken, and it just seemed like too many tragedies in, were taking place in my life and in yours, and um, I, I couldn't bring myself to do one more funeral. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't handle one more hurt in my life, and I was whining to God about it. I, I had complained before. I was flat whining as I came across the parking lot. I got to the end of the breezeway out there, and God stopped me. He said, Cliff? Why don't you let me finish it this time? I said, what are you talking about? He said, you always whine and complain about the hard stuff in your life and beg me to let you out of it, and you'd keep doing that until I let you out of it. Because of that, suffering's never been able to finish its work in you. So, why don't you stop asking me that and just lean on me? So I promised him at that point, I would never again say, God, you got to let me out of the hard stuff. That's been a hard promise to keep. I failed at it this week, by the way. And uh, he checked me on that. But from that day forward, it was about four or five years ago, um, I have learned some things about prayer that have changed the way that I pray. And so today I just want to list for you a handful of the reasons that I pray. There'll be some scripture that appears on the screen back here that has something to do with what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to preach on these passages. They just, maybe you want to write them down, maybe they'll help you. But uh, first, I would just share with you that I pray because I can. There's a God. He's the God of the universe. He's majestic and awesome and mighty. The scriptures describe him as being love itself, and though he is yeah, the, the creator of everything and the sustainer of everything, I am one, but only one, of the gajillions of things that he has made. And yet the scriptures teach that he wants me to talk with him and that I get the privilege of doing that. Regardless of what it may or may not accomplish, I think it's a pretty fantastic thing that a mere human like me, flawed, weak, finite, gets to talk with the God. And because I can, because I've been afforded this incredible privilege, I talk to him. I pray because I can. I also pray because I need to. Not meaning I ought to, but because I need to. Like you, there are, there are worries and fears that, that kind of sneak up on me and, and start to lodge in my heart and my mind. They weigh on me. There, there's anger and frustration that I invite in and, and allow to take a place in my life. And I have found that when the worries and the fears and the anger and the frustration, when, when, I, when they come in or when I welcome them in, they, they come in to try to stay and they pile up and they pile up and they pile up and they, they change the way that I act toward everybody else. One of the reasons that I pray is so that Laura can have a decent husband to live with. 
Because this stuff, this, the, the worries, the fears, the anger, the hurt, it's going to come out at some point. And whether it comes out in, you know, blah, the explosion, or whether it comes out with me just, frankly, whining and complaining to her because she will listen, those things unfairly then get placed upon Laura, and she now has a decision to make about whether she's going to take them in, and maybe she doesn't recognize that she's making a decision, and those things that were my burden suddenly become hers when there's nothing that she can do about it. Here's the good news. While she's a wonderful wife, there's a wonderful God who will listen when you bring to him anything that hurts you, anything that harms you, anything that makes your heart sink instead of rise. There is a God who will listen. I thank God for friends. I thank God for my wife. But I also know that, uh, frankly, they need not bear every dark thing that I ever experience. And so I pray because I can. I have a privilege with God. I pray because I need to. I need to go to him many times so that Laura and you all are not overwhelmed by the things that hurt my heart. It's one of the ways, frankly, talking to God is one of the ways that I maintain healthy relationship with the other people in my life. Because when he takes my burden, I'm now able to be positive and happy and helpful in relationship with the people around me. I also pray because Jesus did. Yeah, I know that sounds almost like preaching because uh, it, it seems like for Christians, if Jesus did anything, pardon me, kind of turn that into a law or a rule or a thou shalt. And I don't intend it that way. I don't, I don't intend to say to you this morning, Jesus prayed, so you ought to too. What I mean is, I'm a follower of Jesus. As we, as we looked last week at the business of baptism, he said, if anybody would be my disciple, take me across and actually follow me. If you want to be a follower, follow And so, because I don't understand exactly how to do this life really, really well, because I'm guessing at at so many of the decisions I make, I look at the life of Jesus, who seemed to figure out both how to do life in this world, how to order the heavens and the earth, and how to bridge the gap between those two things that are so very different. Oh, yeah, and accomplish salvation in the midst of all that. That guy, that Jesus, prayed He went to his heavenly father for comfort and for guidance. Though he was fully God, he went for comfort and for guidance. Listen, if Jesus needed comfort and guidance and could get it in prayer, it just makes sense to me to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And so I follow in his footsteps. And what do you know? I get comfort and I get guidance. Those things have have been a big help to me of late. Like you, I also pray sometimes because I want God to change things, right? You look at circumstances in your life. Maybe maybe you're a person who has more global concerns. You're a citizen of the world, and so you're looking at those great big things and saying, uh, somebody needs to do something about the whatever, wherever. Or maybe you're just caught up in the, the immediacy of the difficulty of life in in your house or your job or your inner world, and you want God to do something about the ugh 
out there or, or in here? Hmm? You would all, like me, you pray because you want God to change things. I, one of the reasons I pray is because I want God to change things. And this is one of the uh, most difficult parts of the equation for me because sometimes I think rather eloquently, I, uh, I present to God all the reasons the ought to, that he ought to fix the stuff in this world. They ought to fix my stuff and yours. Oof. And, uh, and the politicians, can I get an amen? Yeah. And the whatever, right? I want God to fix things. And after I have so eloquently listed for him all the reasons that he ought to, God sometimes says things like, nope, I'm not going to. And uh, that's uh, mildly annoying or worse. And sometimes he says things like, I think you ought to fix that. And he places upon my shoulders responsibility for entering into the ug of the world, yours, global things, my family, step into it and shoulder some of that myself and be his agent in it. And so um, I, I pray because I want God to change things, but this much I know, he's either going to change the things or he's going to walk with me through the unchanged things or he's going to give me the comfort, peace, knowledge, and resources that I need to be the one who, in the name of Jesus, goes and changes the things. And as much as, just being honest, I would prefer that he just changed the things, I have found it to be a most incredible way of life. When he says, no, you do it, and I'll, I'll be your strength, I'll be your help. I have found the most meaningful, rewarding life by being the one who, with God, changes the things. I also pray, and I think, I think in an ultimate sense, the, the reason, if I have to reduce it to one thing, the reason that I pray is because I want to know God. I mean, I've believed in him since I was this big, but I want to know him. My theology classes, they didn't help me know him. I, I, I came to know things about him that, that may have helped fuel a desire in me to actually know him personally, but there isn't a class that will help you know God. I want to know God. And the only way to know God is to have a conversation with him. You know, the, our last two presidents, Trump and Obama, I don't know either one of them because they never call me anymore. <laughs> the truth is they never did. And they won't take my phone calls. And so uh, we never get a chance to have a conversation. And by that mere fact that we never talk, I don't have any relationship with either one of our presidents, or any of them before, and um, it seems I'm not going to get to have a relationship with any of them in the future. Hmm. But I have a relationship with some of you because we talk, and because I want to know God, and I want to be known by God, I talk to Him, and I listen to Him. And in these last two years, um, 
there's been a difference in the way that I pray, and it has allowed for a lot more time for me to just sit in his presence and listen. And instead of, uh, well, I guess this is the last reason on the list. We'll just put these two together. Instead of me making my big, long prayer list of all the stuff that I want God to change, all the miracles that I want him to work, all the people that I want him to grab, and all the... I, I mentioned those things once or twice, couched in, 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 in this one statement, Lord, I am trusting you to bring all of your goodness to bear on so-and-so's cancer and so-and-so's marriage and so-and-so's job and so-and-so's grief. I'm trusting you, Lord, please help. I'm trusting you to be very good to them. And the bulk of the time that I now, stand, that I now spend in prayer, I spend asking God what he thinks about these situations. And I have found that when you will get quiet and really listen to the Lord, he's Gabby. He, he will direct your thoughts. He, I, I, have, I have come to uh, the realization, a very different realization about many of the problems that I have faced and that you all have faced simply because I quit telling God what he ought to do. And I asked him, what he thinks and feels about these things. And here's what's happened. I've come to know the heart of God. In a lot of things where I just guessed about his, quote, will before. I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I used to use prayer as a tool for bending God to my will. I understand how this world ought to work. I understand how relationships ought to work. I understand how illness and health ought to work. I understand how political things ought to work. God, pay attention here. I'm giving you the green light to go do all this good stuff that I know and that I've lined out for you. I've got all the formulas in Jesus' name. I've got the, I've got the other formula, if it's your will. And, and, and I only half mean if it's your will. I really want him to do my will. And that's why I have so many times gone to God again and again and again and again and again over the same issue. And over these last couple of years, as I have taken the time to, to ask God and stop and listen to God, what I have found is that prayer, instead of being this tool by which I bend God to my will, tool become, uh, prayer becomes a relationship in which God bends my will to his. I have found a lot more fruit in my prayer when I have waited before God long enough to know what he thinks about whatever so that I know either to just trust or to act instead of just scheduling my next prayer appointment where I can one more time hammer on God till he does what I want. I pray because uh, I can. I pray because I need to. I pray because Jesus did, and if he needed it to navigate this life, so do I. Uh, I pray because I want God to change things or to help me be the one who changes the things. I pray because I want to know him. And I pray because ultimately I do believe that life is most fulfilling, most joyous, most enjoyable, 
most peaceful when I quit trying to turn God into me and when I instead just put myself before him and ask him to make my heart like his. I think he's doing it. And I'm grateful. Please keep sending me your prayer requests. I will take them to God. And I will trust him to bring all of his goodness to bear on your situation. But understand that as I pray for you, I will also be praying that God will draw very close to you and you to him so that you may actually get to know his heart and so then his will for your life and for this world. Here's what I think. I think if more people started actually inquiring about the will of God, the heart of God, instead of asking him why he won't work our will. I think we might actually change this world. This morning, the uh, communion teams are going to come and serve you uh, the holy sacrament called communion. Oftentimes, we use this as a, as a, as a point of decision, right? We serve this. There's been some sermon preached, and are you going to act on it or not? Here's this big moment for you to process that. Uh, Sometimes we just simply present communion as remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us and be grateful. It is always this ceremony, this ritual. It is always at least that. This morning, how about this? How about we just count on the shed blood of Jesus Christ? How about we just count on the the, the crucifixion of his body and and the spilling of his blood? How about we just remember and count on his resurrection from the dead, that he is very much alive and in power today? And how about counting on that? We just then go to him in prayer and ask him if there's anything he would like to say to us. Ushers, why don't you come? Communion time is prayer time. Listen, my friends, when I'm, when I'm saying to you, count on his crucifixion, count on, on the spilling of his blood and the brokenness of his body, here's what I mean. You don't have to use the, the rest of this service to beg him for forgiveness. He has granted it to you. Have you spent an awful lot of communion time going over all the things you've done wrong to make sure you don't have unconfessed sin in your life toward God? I've done that a lot. Listen, today, listen, his grace is yours because of his crucifixion, okay? You can count on that. So you don't have to spend your time praying this morning, repenting of all your sins, unless God himself speaks that to you. Why don't you receive the elements here in a moment? We'll partake of them together. In the meantime, why don't you just ask God if he has anything to say to you this morning? See what his spirit says. God's people together said, Amen.